Welcome to another episode of Red Skies, where we seek to read the cultural signs of our times in conversation with thought leaders from around the globe. Our goal is to find a path for our future as the church, asking the question, how can we as followers of Jesus be good news to an ever chaotic and divisive world? This podcast is brought to you by Movement Leaders Collective, a community and catalyst for movement leaders worldwide, and 100 Movements Publishing, seeking to change the conversation, shift paradigms, equip leaders, and inspire missional discipleship, and is produced and presented in partnership with our friends at Missio Alliance, a generative, expansive, and intercultural network around theology and practice. You can find out more about the book, Red Skies, 10 Essential Conversations About Our Future as the Church, as well as other tools available to help your church, organization, or movement at redskiesfuture.com. The book can also be purchased on Amazon, at Barnes & Noble, and other platforms where books are sold. You can enter the missional conversation with other movement leaders around the globe at movementleaderscollective.com. And now for this week's episode. Hey, well, welcome to another Red Skies conversation. And I'm here uh, with Rich Robinson, my co-host. How are you doing, Rich? Across the pond. Doing well, doing well. Looking forward to uh, looking forward to this talking disco with Brian Sanders. You don't get that joy every day of the week. Can't wait. It's kind of a conversation I never expected to have to talk about disco. No, it, it's with not Brian one of the Sanders. things I thought I'd be saying, but I yeah. am. Yeah. Well, um, yeah. Let's jump into this. Uh, I am really happy to again have Brian Sanders on a podcast. Uh, love having conversations with him and kind of trying to find out what's in his head. Uh, Let me tell you a little bit about Brian in case you don't know who he is. Um, He is a social entrepreneur, has helped start uh, hundreds of missional enterprises, including churches, nonprofits, businesses um, around the world. Most notably, Brian is founder and former executive director of the Underground Network, or as some people kind of call it, Tampa Underground. Uh, It's an international fellowship of microchurch incubators, creating city-based ecosystems of faith and creativity and empowered social enterprise. And so Brian has existed out on the edge of church ecclesiology. Um, And so Brian, welcome, man. It's so good to have you again and grab 30 minutes out of your day to hear what comes out of your mouth. (laughs) It's nice to see my friends. It's been too long. (laughs) Well, hey, um, before we jump into the chapter, uh, just just real quick, because I'm I would love for people to get to know you a little bit. They might have heard your name from books you've written or from underground. Um, Just give us an elevator pitch, a little bit of your your journey of faith and kind of how you got um to where you are today um i I know that's hard in an elevator pitch but you know just give us a a quick run of that well i I came to faith in parachurch and then joined a parachurch college ministry straight out of college so it's probably defined me in terms of being a missionary person um understanding my calling and my identity really as a missionary um i'm I'm, i would say maybe like a churchman second you know like trying to understand the church or serve the church or design the church that would have been maybe mid-career correction 
but even that, you know, the underground in a sense was a, an attempt to, to design a church, a comprehensive church form that was really biased towards mission, you know, towards, towards missionary, towards the missionary, you know, the called sent missionary person. Um, and then, you know, in this, in this last phase of my life, probably here, um, maybe even stepping out a little farther in the marketplace and kind of cause collaborations, which is the two big things I'm working on now, <clears throat> of course, still part of the underground, still on the board. And, um, that's my community locally and so on and, and, and a fellowship all around the world. But, um, but trying to, trying to, to, to still learn and push the envelope of mission um and so i have a <clears throat> i'm a part of a, a company that's that's trying to do an expression of impact investing and doing some cool things in the co-working space and then uh also working with the national christian foundation to do uh, collective impact alliances around key causes so so non-christians and christians mixed economy um mm-hmm. and the evangelism that can come out of that but also just co-belligerence, you know, towards evil or towards problems or whatever. So that's where I am now. That's cool. Um, co-belligerence, man, that's, I'm going to hang on to that today and think about it. That's a great term. Um, let me, let me jump us into the chapter that you wrote in Red Skies. And I got to be honest as, as kind of the curator, uh, general editor of the book, when you sent the title, get ready for disco, um, I don't, I don't know if I liked that or not, um, because in the, in the, well, in the seventies, I was in rock bands, you yep. know, and we were playing like Led Zeppelin and, yep. you know, grand funk stuff like that with these t-shirts that said, I hate disco. Yeah. And, and then here you go. Give me a chapter for a book I was putting together called get ready for disco. And so I, I know that we're going well, to use, I use it as a negative metaphor Roland. So, so in other words, well, get ready, get ready for a bad time. <laughs> I know. Get, well, it could be that, right? It could be a ne- negative prophetic thing, or for some people it's a positive prophetic. Maybe. Yeah, maybe. So um, give us the overview of get ready for disco. And then I know, you know, Rich and I both have some questions. We want to kind of dig into this concept um, that you're presenting here, which I, I think is a fascinating um, thing for pastors to think about. Uh, this is the kind of thing that pastors should think about, but they don't, which is time and cycles of time. And, and so kind of explain this to us and how you got to this. Well, if, if I remember, if I remember it thoroughly enough, uh, sufficiently, I, th- I think, I think, <clears throat> you know, how we think about time or our, our perception of time and really our theological understanding of time mm-hmm. i'm i'm saying actually informs the way we understand the future so the, this whole project red skies is really can we can we think predictively prophetically um trying to sort of determine what could be coming for us uh what do we see <clears throat> but before you can have that conversation maybe there's a there's a meta question you know behind it which is what do we think about time do we think of time as or history itself how do we understand history is it something that's just a progression like it's a constant like the humanist mind would say it's always improving 
um, like a Steven Pinker, the better, better angels of our nature. That book is incredible case for human beings have just progressively improved uh, human society as bad as you think it is now be happy you didn't live in the you know 1600s or whatever uh, that in every meaningful measurement we seem to be improving uh, and so is that true and and is that how we see time and is that and 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 the sort of the technophilia of our time the love of technology has created a kind of you know tsunami of hope in technology and belief that technology is always improving the computer keeps getting smaller the 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 you know the frontier the tech frontier just just keeps getting brighter and brighter so is, is history like that is human development like that mm-hmm. uh or is it to be believed that actually we're getting worse in some ways morality and faith is being lost and, and all these sort of doomsday scenarios but either way time is a line in that sense right it's either getting better and it's getting worse but then in, in and that that is script i mean there, there's scriptural basis for that um both both in the, the the book starting with the creation narrative and ending with you know a rain uh, a wedding and a and a and a you know inauguration of a king mm-hmm. that seems to be a line you know but then the scripture also kind of reveals time as a cycle as, as something that's seasonal and actually the predictive part of like you jesus saying you ought to be able to know this is coming has to do maybe more with a sense of like we we have seen this before and because we've seen this before because we've paid attention to these these cycles where things come and go the same things tend to sort of reappear in time and history that we're supposed to know it's coming again you know we're supposed to we're supposed to have that prescience about the world that these 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 sort of pendulum swings or that this is nothing new actually you know so which is it? Because those seem to be kind of competing narratives of time and history. And what is our theological commitment to either or both? Uh, and how does that work? And I, I think maybe ultimately what I'm trying to say is that we have seen a cycle of system and self. That That's where the disco thing comes in. That, that um, at least in recent American history, <clears throat> we and, – and, and, and in church – fascination church focus like what what is it that the christian community is saying this is what means to be christian this is what we have to do that we have we have had a focus on system systemic sin for example or structural what's been called structural sin like the system is evil the system needs to be fixed the system is you know uh, dominating or oppressing people or something <clears throat> and then and then the, the 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 kind of fatigue and futility that comes from trying to, to fight sin as a system to fight evil as a system that gives way to my argument is it gives way to seeing sin as essentially personal the the and then and then and then that cycle between system and self and we come back to saying okay actually is it really all about systems or is it about people and the corruption of the human heart and and that sort of thing. So, I mean, we could talk more about it, but I, I think that's my idea. So I, I'm saying that what came out of the, the the heavy, heavy political dynamism and and bifurcation uh, dualism of the late 60s in America, what came out of that was disco. And disco was the rise of the hedonist. You know, it was like, let's just do drugs and dance and 
forget about all this fighting the system and tearing down the man and activism. And so what comes out of the late sixties into the early seventies is this kind of return to, I just want to be happy and I just want to tune all this stuff out. And I just want to focus on myself and I just want to party and I just want to dance. And, you know, and then that gives way that, you know, finds, finds new iterations in the eighties in consumerism and stuff. But then that eventually gives way in the early nineties back to a focus on system, which is like our kids are sitting around going, are you guys just going to do a lot of cocaine and not care about this world, this, these systems that you've set up that are hurting people. And so it was a renewal of that kind of activism and fighting the system. And I just think what's coming next, this is my little contribution to the predictive quality of the book is probably a return to hedonism <laughs> and self-focus and self-interest and a theology actually because the church has always becomes you know influenced by these yeah. dynamics right yeah and so is it possible then that the church will just say hey just look after yourself take care of yourself you know god wants you to be healthy and whole and happy and and return to self and, and none of these things are 100 percent wrong of course that's part of what i'm yeah. saying but but there, I, I see that cycle of like focus on the system and focus on the self. It's good. And, ju- and just rewinding back slightly, Brian, I've, I've circled four or five different parts of the of your chapter to hear a little bit more from you, pull it out. And so when you talk about the, the way that we think of time and then how that helps us or challenges us in terms of engaging in the present, you, you put it. Is the story of the church a linear progression or a repeated cycle? There's comfort and peril in both views. To just build build that out a little bit in terms of linear progression and repeated cycle, we started to talk about in the context of church, and then you go on to talk about Jesus actually being at peace and engaging both, both dynamics. So talk to us a little bit about the church in this conversation. Yeah, I guess if, if, if we think of the, the story of the church as a linear story, then, then we become triumphalists. You know, we think that we will win in every season, you know, and so on. Um, and so maybe there's truth to that. You know, again, if, if you're looking at your eschatology, you know, you're thinking of the end of, end of days or whatever, we do win. You know, like we, the win. End, we do win in the end, you know, so, so there is an end and we do win. Uh, and Jesus seemed perfectly comfortable with that idea. Um, so there's comfort in that, knowing that that we will triumph. Actually, to, to 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 you know, the whole book of Revelation, especially in the beginning, is sort of built in this idea: to those that overcome, I will give the water of life. I will give the whatever all these promises. And that word overcome, you know, is that Nike Nike word. It's it's um, to to be victorious to triumph and so to those who triumph to those who overcome he will give the water of life and but so 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 the danger of that the downside of that is what what happens when we seem to be losing you know when the tide turns and um you know moral depravity seems to be winning when the church is dying i mean the church is suffering right now we are in a what i so if you think so then if you think of of the story of the church is a, is a cyclical story, is a story of seasons. It feels like a winter to me, winter time. Um, many, many of the many of the things that have were flowering or blooming are dying or dead in the church. But of course, if you understand the way that seasons work, that doesn't have to be a discouragement. In fact, um, it's a promise, isn't it? Because 
spring always comes again, always. And that's that to me. That's also very comforting in a certain way because um, no matter what we're going through as individuals or as churches or as a community, it won't last. Mm. You know, the, the sun will come out. The spring will come again. That is a guarantee in these cycles, in these seasons of life. But the bad news is the winter also will come again. You know, so when you do come out of it, you can't, so you can't switch back and go, now we're on a progression. You know, things are going great. So now we're just going to grow forever. Switch over to the linear point of view. Yeah. So I don't really know. I just think both are present in scripture. I think Jesus was comfortable with both. I think we have to try to um, appreciate both the long form of, of human history and the long, the long work of God in us and through us. But then also see over top of that line, these sort of circles, mm -hmm. um, the spiral over it, that there will be death and life and, and seasons and cycles within that for every church, for the church, the iteration of the church in our time. Like we, we may go through like in our here, here toward the second, second half of my lifetime, I may go, we may go through a winter time for the church where there's a pruning and a loss and. And 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 to to persevere is to prevail. Mm -hmm. to, to simply live on, you know, is, is enough. <laughs> and there's been times I know in, in in ground level leadership in the last five years where I felt like that is winning. Yeah. Like to simply hold on, to to simply remain Christian. Honestly, mm -hmm. uh, <laughs> isn't it? it? When all out, when all else, just stand, just hold your ground, you just go. stand. Yeah. Well, we we talk about as leaders and coaches and, and those kinds of things, we we have been talking about liminality, let's say, for a few years now and understanding that we have these threshold experiences and that those things, uh, you know, I think the first place I heard, you know, Alan Hirsch kind of talk about that you have to have liminality in order to have innovation sometimes. And so it's kind of like that when you, when you're in the winter, you know, it's going to be cold, you know, it's going to be uncomfortable. You got to uh, drive through snow, whatever it is, but you know, that spring is coming kind of like you're, you're saying, Brian. Yeah, I was, so I was at a, I was at a tech conference yesterday called Synapse here in Tampa, 5,000 people. It's just like a tech, tech frenzy, you know, um, and so I, I was drawn to the talks that were sort of more theoretical or, um, you know, so, so one, of the, one of the keynotes was about Web3 and like kind of cryptocurrency and all that stuff. And it was, just, it was just like blew my mind how religious the whole thing was. You know, how these guys on stage, they weren't talking about, you know, the algorithms. They weren't talking about the functioning uh, blockchain or whatever. They were talking about like we're going to change the world like this is going to coordinate the world the human race in a way that's never been done before mm -hmm. this is tantamount to like discovering fire or something um and i was just kind of blown away with how naive that is mm -hmm. you know and and it struck me that like oh, okay these guys are seeing time as linear so they're thinking we're just going to keep getting better and better and crypto web 3 whatever the interaction of that space nfts and all that is you know it's just moving us towards progress it's just moving us towards this this sort of utopia that one day we're going to be there but 
they kept just they kept just running down the the banking system and our the failures of our current government and you can't trust anybody and this sort of conspiracy stuff which you know they're not wrong but but then it struck me as like okay well guys you can't have it both ways you can't you can't sit here and think okay we are the new technology therefore trust us we're going to make the world perfect we're finally gonna, no literally we're going to solve world hunger we're going to solve all human problems we're going to eliminate the need for government everything so so that's linear right but then not recognizing that like well won't use won't use to come so on the one hand they were sort of running down the internet the creation of the internet the use of the internet like it's just become a, a cesspool you know but it's like but then why won't web3 become that where is the where is the return like where you're not learning the lessons that history has taught us that every human enterprise is full of these perils you know and to have some humility that comes from recognizing the seasons of discovery and then fumbling that discovery, you know, discovery and then corruption. So I'm sitting there thinking, the guy's like, don't trust the bankers. And I'm, and I'm just sitting there in the audience thinking, and why should I trust you? <laughs> Who are you? <laughs> so now, now I'm meant to trust you. Why? Yeah. You know, because you've created something that you think is impenetrable to human sin. And of course it isn't. I mean, maybe mathematically you can create a blockchain that is, but but actually we're seeing all kinds of fraud in that unregulated space and all kinds of like, just, you just, you can, it's, it's the same stuff. Right. Mm. So anyway, I just thought that was interesting how, you know, even, even in the secular world, we have to wrestle with those two dynamics, those two realities um, and not be naive and, but, but recognize that, that both those conceptions of time and both those interactions with the world are real, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and just I'm picking up on that, Brian, you, you're beginning to move. The, the, the second piece I circled in your chapter was our relationship with the future is both mystical and practical. So, again, beginning to talk about this projectionist forecast blockchain. This is our future. That's what you're hearing yesterday. Just, again, unpack that a little bit, because there'll be people listening that are dreamers and hope. there's hope, there's idealism. There'll be people that are deeply practical, sensory detail, optimist, pessimist, concept, detail. So that's not just a, how are you, you engage the future with the way that you are. So just dig that, com that comment out a little bit more. Yeah, maybe, and maybe that's exactly what I was feeling or frustrated by them. On the one hand, I'm, I love the, the optimism. You know, I love the, the hope, this sort of primal hope that we can, we could make the world better, you know, um, like that, that is mystical, you know, that God is somehow like, you know, Martin King said, he's the arc of history is long, but it bends towards justice is God. The moral arc of history is God is God sort of at work in this long thing. And he's gonna do, he's gonna finally liberate us. And, and so believing that in some almost, yeah, I don't know. Almost um, naive way, maybe. I don't know. But then, it's but then, a childlike faith, isn't it? To some yes, degree, childlike that that's true. I believe. But, but then, but then, but then, having the humility to recognize, but there are plenty of there are plenty of things that have gone wrong, and and, and people in every generation have thought this, you know, and been wrong. So, so not not to embrace cynicism that comes from that, but to but to somehow hold in ourselves, and I think maybe this is only really possible for for the Christian person, ultimately, 
to hold within ourselves this this perfect hope mm-hmm. for the reign of Jesus and the and the and the, the making right of all things that are wrong, and that we are a part of that the 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 step toward that the progress toward that in some way. But then also to have the humility and the grounding and the practicality of recognizing we're going to suffer setbacks and we're going to be part of the problem. And we're and, and part of how you get there is that cycle of repentance and creative action. You know, so, Lord, I'm sorry, I'm part of the problem. <laughs> and then use me somehow to move this, this dream that you have for the world forward. Um, it's just, you know what I mean? Like, how can, how can we be faithful to Jesus and the kingdom in the here and now and in the in the age to come without holding on to both of those things in our hearts somehow mm. you uh you write just i think a beautiful sentence uh toward the end of your chapter and uh, i want to kind of kind of get you to riff on this a little bit for us um let me read it as we kind of near the end of our time you say and, and we're i'm going back to you were talking about that we're in a we've been in ages where we are going from system to self focus and in your kind of prophetically thinking okay we're focused on systems that's where we're seeing a lot of disruptions and race and culture and politics and all those things we've been feeling and so the next thing might be self and you say i think the move from system to self will be full of pitfalls but also opportunity the church will need to get smaller christians will have to see themselves as a missionary again and so we will have to embrace the missionary paradox to love the world we have come to change so just riff on that sentence a a little bit because i know the missionary posture is is near and dear to your heart as it is to ours what so as we're asking in red skies what what are the next what's the next decade or two going to look like and how are we going to be good news to a world talk to the pastor or the the christian out there that's listening right now and say okay how do we approach this season of self that may be coming well and and the truth is to be faithful to the to bear witness to the kingdom to to the good news of the kingdom is to both accommodate that shift and to challenge it right so so as we moved in you know in my kind of early career as we moved from a focus on self to a focus on system in the 90s um to be able to say that's right this the system is wrong you know and 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 there's there's plenty of 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 biblical you know, momentum to, to, to say we ought to tear down these evil systems, speak truth to power, all that. But don't forget that you also are a sinner and that you are, that every system is made up of people, <laughs> you know, that, and, and we're in them, we're in these, we contribute to them in some way. So personal responsibility and also structural accountability they, they go together. So that doesn't really change, does it? I mean, so as we as we move as missionaries into where everybody wants to is going to want to talk about themselves, they're going to want to talk about, you know, uh, balance and 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 self love and uh, you know self care, and they're they're going to they're going to think I'm burned out from that. So I need I need to just look at myself, take care of myself. Well, we have a message for that, mm-hmm. you know. His, his burden is light. His yoke is easy. You know, there is a healing promise 
in the good news and the gospel. And if you feel broken or beaten down or tired or weary, there's good news from Jesus about that. And actually, he does care about you as a person and wants to restore you, to, to lead you by quiet waters and restore your soul. You know, that is still what the good shepherd does. So maybe that becomes prominent, more prominent in our evangelism, mm -hmm. in our message to the world, this idea of wellness, you know, the, the centrality of the message of wellness. That's no problem for us. You know, we're 100% we're comfortable <laughs> if that's what you want to talk about, if that's the focus. But then having said that, how will we also still remind them as those people become disciples of Jesus, that the world is also still something that we are responsible for and accountable for. And there, there are forces at work that are beyond our individual choices that have to still be called to account, you know. Um, but, you know, again, the missionary is contextualizing. So if you want to talk about yourself, if that's where you are, we can meet you there. Mm -hmm. you know, and, and that's what I think we will have to increasingly the the on the ground person just sharing their faith with their colleagues or preaching in a small church or having people in your living room or whatever. That's what's going to be on their hearts. You know, not not activism. What can I go tear down? But like, how can I get whole again? Because I feel ripped up. Yeah. Yeah. And I. I really appreciated your chapter from that contextual missionary standpoint, uh, because I, you know, I think it, it's so important uh, for us to understand the times that we're in and the context that we're in, if we're going to display and be the gospel uh, to people. And so it really did make me think, you know, if there's a shift to self, there's a lot of opportunity and hope in, in that, you know, right now we're speaking to systems as as a lot of churches are like what does good news look like in a big in a system that's broken but if we do shift to self we also have conversations in that but as good missionaries our language and our posture uh, can shift to that as well so man i i really appreciate uh, you being part of red skies you were part of the genesis of this as well to uh, in some of the conversations and you were you know this book actually got spurred. I don't know if I've ever told the story, but this book got spurred off of, you know, uh, hitting you up on a podcast and saying, what do you think about writing a book together? And this very, this very quickly became too big a task for any one or two people uh, to write on. And so uh, I appreciate you pushing this thing toward what it's become and, uh, and being a part of it. Thanks for doing it, man. Yeah, it, it's been it's been really fun. I know that you have another book that just came out, and I do want to um, I do want to plug it because um, man, it was so helpful for me. I I'm I'm a church leader guy that's turning sixty in June. Um, I've been doing some life coaching, you know, asking these questions of kind of like what what's my next season and and kind of how can I uh, fill up my heart with the things that I love to do and leave a good fingerprint, you know, and you, you came out with this little book called the six seasons of calling. And I discovered that I'm becoming a mystic, you know, which I love that. <laughs> you know, I think that's great. I don't know how that fits in with, uh, the seventies coming back, but, um, anyway, I, the six seasons of calling just real quickly, just talk about, 
this book and uh, I've been pitching it to especially guys my age that are kind of uh, in leadership transitions. Uh, what made you write something like this? Because this is very un-Brian Sander-ish as as we're used to you. That's what, that's uh, what Alan, I talked to Alan Briggs and he was like, I was very surprised by this book. <laughs> yeah. I was like, wait, I'm, I'm going to try not to be offended by this comment, but yeah. <laughs> like this was actually good. Like actually yeah. some deep yeah. stuff. I think you've said enough about it, honestly, Roland. Okay. I, you know, it's just we we um, we don't experience calling as a as a as a static thing that happens once mm-hmm. in our life. We we go through these kind of awakenings, these identity crises, and I just I have a theory that we we do it about six times in the course of a life, and mm-hmm. um, it's just it's just probably just pattern recognition. It's like a taxonomy of calling mm-hmm. that I've seen over the course of working with loads of called people, you know, missionary people. Now, if you're not interested in hearing and following the voice of God, you know, it won't, it won't line up probably as much with your life. But if you have tried to live a life like that, or you want to live a life like that, then I think seeing that pattern uh, in the lives of other missionaries and recognizing where you are, like locating yourself in that can be really eye opening, you know, as you say. So thanks for mentioning that. Yeah. Brian, thank you so much. As Ronan said, such a driving force and the thought and the, the energy that went into the book and for both your credible witness in terms of life and leadership, but also I think for me, what I appreciate where, where Roland's talking about the challenge, that the both ends, the reality that it's it's easier to be on one end of the spectrum, easier to go binary, easier to pick a camp and throw stones at the other. And I love your brain and the way that you hold truths that seem paradoxical and seem like they can't fit on one one plane and you challenge me you challenge us to stay in that place and that that does feel the jesus way the the both and way so i love not only the chapter but i want to say thank you for for your part in making red skies possible and the way that you lead out and now the new frontier that you're you're going to that others will catch up on in 5 10 15 years time so thank you keep fighting the good fight keep pushing out into those frontiers we appreciate you thanks brothers all right thanks man bye Thank you for joining this episode of Red Skies, the podcast. This podcast has been brought to you by Movement Leaders Collective and 100 Movements Publishing in partnership with our friends at Missio Alliance. You can join the conversation at movementleaderscollective.com and connect with us at Red Skies at redskiesfuture.com. And as well, pick up your copy of Red Skies 10 Essential Conversations for Our Future as the Church on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and other places that fine books are sold. Be sure to like this podcast and share it with others. And we look forward to continued conversations on our future as the church.